Well, welcome everybody and welcome to another Sabbath service that will be broadcast here from CGI Burlington. And uh, just seeing some of our early birds here, uh, Sister Sylvie, Brother Timothy, Becca, Pastor Murray, Christine, Hope Springs, JD. Welcome. Welcome everybody. And I'll just check on YouTube as well and see who is there. The uh, Sea Breeze, Maria, Sister Maria, Lee, David, Mike, welcome everybody. And uh, we'll be starting in just a few moments. Hopefully you're hearing my voice clearly and you're hearing the piano as well. If you can just confirm that and then we'll get started. Welcome, Reg, Brother Reg, and Posen Otto. Just looking for a confirmation. Oh, wonderful. Brother David, give confirmation that coming through clearly. We'll get ready to start in just a moment. And uh, imagine we're just a few days away now, 13 days away from the Passover service. It is uh, month 12, the 12th month, and it's also now the 29th day. And so that does mean we are just 13 days away from kicking off the spring holy day season. And hopefully you are enjoying some uh, very spring-like weather uh, now as we move away from winter and into the spring holy day season. So if you're first time here, welcome. Uh, well, a great treat for you today. We have a guest speaker, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing his message as God has inspired him uh, shortly. In the meantime, I'm going to ask our brother, Deacon Jan, to uh, open with a word of prayer. Good afternoon. Happy Sabbath to all of you. Just please bow your head together. Loving Father, great God, as always. First, we just want to thank you, Father, for another week. Thank you, Father, that you actually walk us through another week that we are alive and we can still enjoy all these blessings, Father, that you have for us. And especially, Father, for another Sabbath day that we can come together and collectively, Father, we can just praise you. We can just worship you and we can thank you, Father, for all these blessings. Thank you, Father, that you're taking care of us. You're taking care of us through this pandemic, Father. You're protecting us and Father, ask and we pray. We'll just keep doing this thing as we move on forward. Father, we also want to thank you for all the audience that are watching us today. These faithful brothers and sisters that join every week just to be with us, to spend the time together, Father, to worship together, to listen. And also, Father, we want to ask today, just before we start our service here, for a special anointing for our speaker today. And also for special anointing for all of us who will be listening. And as we heard, Passover is just 13 days away. And Father, we ask for this anointing that whatever we hear today from the, from the messenger, that we slowly digest the message and, and get it into our, our mind and into our hearts and slowly implement it and put it into the actions, Father. So thank you so much for being us, Father. And just before we go, we just also ask for all this technology, all these things that needs to be put together in order to broadcast the service, Father. Just please help us 
that all this technology will work out in the end, Father, that all the people will hear the message that you have, the Father, have, that you have for us. So thank you so much, Father, for all the blessings. We thank you so much for everything, Father. We ask, you ask for everything in your other name, but Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Deacon Jan. So to begin now, we will have our first hymn, very rousing hymn. It's on page 137 in the hymnal, Holy Mighty Majesty. And I will display the uh, lyrics here on the screen. Holy Mighty Majesty. Wonderful, what a beautiful hymn, and as I was just uh, listening to that hymn, just made me realize just how much I miss when we're all together and we sing together, and that particular hymn, it, it's one that when we're together, we just sing with so much feeling and so much volume uh, that it really does uh, underline uh, how important it is for us to come together, and we need to continually uh, look for opportunities for us to be together, even if we have to uh, make uh, you know, these um, uh, improv improvisations. Uh, by doing so digitally. Well, we're going to have a scripture reading now, and it's going to be uh, taken from Luke 22, verses 15 to 20, and it will be read to us by our brother Jeff Flanick from the Macedonia, Ohio congregation. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and said, Take this, and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, 
This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Jeff. Uh, We do have a few announcements, which I will uh, just read through here. Uh, First of all, uh, we will have, uh, we will continue with our Wednesday night Bible study, God willing, this Wednesday. We are up to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Hopefully you can join us as we go line by line through this uh, very hefty book and who is referred to as the the head of the prophets, the prince of the prophets, Isaiah. Uh, Also, please remember that this evening, at least in North America, the clocks spring forward as we go into daylight savings time. So we will lose an hour uh, this evening. And uh, so just do remember to set your clocks before going to bed. Also, that brings to mind the spring holy day season. Uh, As I mentioned, we're just 13 days away from the Passover. This year, the Passover, uh, March 20, the evening of March 26th is the 27th of the evening before. We will have the Passover service. And then um, the first day of Unleavened Bread is March 28th, the night to be the, the evening before, and the last day being April 3rd. Now, we here locally, uh, we will be having Passover in our homes. We don't have halls where we can uh, meet, at least here in Burlington, uh, the Burlington congregation. So we'll be making uh, provisions to have the Passover service um, in our homes. However, uh, Medina, uh, Pastor Bill Watson, who we'll be, here, we'll be hearing from uh, later today for the sermon, uh, his congregation will be broadcasting the Passover service live, and it will begin at 7.45 p.m. And so to, if, you, if you wanted to participate in, and uh, watch that live broadcast, just go to cgimedina.org, cgimedina.org, and just click for the live broadcasts, and you'll be able to participate in that uh, Passover service. It will begin at 7.45. The, uh, the hall will open at 7.30. Sunsets at 7.46, I believe, in, in Ohio. But the service will begin at 7.45. Please also uh, remember to de-leaven. So uh, by the first day of unleavened bread, our homes should be de-leavened uh, physically as we then also focus on the spiritual de-leavening of our lives. So that's it for the um, announcements. And let me just see now after the announcement, what we'll do is have a, an intercessory prayer. Uh, so just a couple of new um, additions to the prayer requests. Um, one is our sister Lori, uh, Pat and Lori Wilcox in the Ottawa congregation, recently uh, gave birth to twins, Aaron and Caleb. So we do have a praise report that uh, Aaron ha- is home now. So he has been released from the hospital and he is at home now with uh, mom and dad. However, Caleb remains in the hospital as he's still struggling with spells of low heart rate and oxygen levels. So low heart rate and oxygen oxygen levels. And uh, he's been uh, in the hospital now for about a month. So let us continue to pray for them and specifically that uh, Caleb uh, can can have his uh, heart rate and oxygen levels elevated so that he can be released uh, from the hospital and join his family. Also, I did get a a prayer request here. It is of a serious nature. Can't go into too much detail, but if you can please remember uh, a young boy by the name of Owen. 
he is uh his parents are going through a a separation and uh it is it is an unpleasant separation and it results in this young boy um at times being cared for uh people where he is facing abuse so please uh pray for young owen and uh his mother i believe her name is um ashley don't quote me on the name but uh let's please pray for this young child that uh he is not going to be scarred by these experiences that in fact uh as god calls him at some point in his life that all these things would work together for good uh let's go ahead now and pray um for those on our prayer list and then we will come back for the the balance of the service our heavenly father we come before you at this time um we're just so grateful that we can all be connected uh, by these different ways that you uh, make available to us and we will just continue to seek ways father that we can come before you and praise you and praise Jesus Christ and give you thanks. And we certainly father want to give you thanks for your great mercy upon uh Pat and our sister Lori uh, as they have just uh, this excitement of building their family uh, and these twins that have been added to their family although born prematurely we just praise you father that uh, young Aaron uh, is healthy enough that he could be released from hospital. Uh, we do thank you for these modern facilities that now uh, his brother Caleb can be uh, monitored carefully. That his uh, his oxygen levels are low, his his heart rate is low. Father, we want to lift up this this young uh, child before you, knowing the incredible future that he has as he is born into this faith. We pray father that you would just look down from heaven lord and just as you've uh, been with uh, Aaron that you would now be with Caleb and just give the wisdom to the doctors in every way that they need father that this uh, young child can fight uh, and and as he begins his life as a fighter physically that he would be a fighter spiritually throughout his entire life we praise you for the family father we pray that you'll continue to bless them with strong faith Thank you God for this precious life and ask your blessing upon it. We also father at this time lift up uh, Owen, uh, this young child who is uh, a victim of circumstances, a victim of uh, sin, uh, sinful decisions. And, and now he is uh, subject to we we don't know the details father, you know. We also know how precious children are in your sight and that the, that the devil, the adversary hates innocence and seeks to destroy innocence. So father we appeal to you. Jesus we appeal to you with your mercy and your care for children that you would somehow intervene in the life of this young boy. And you would bring him to safety father and that all of these experiences ultimately would work for his good as he comes to know the Lord and love the Lord. Father there are others here that are on our list and we are mindful of our sister Divina out of the Toronto congregation a very faithful sister a very prayerful sister who has now been uh, diagnosed with a very serious uh, lymphoma we pray father that you'll have mercy upon her uh, she has been going through severe trial but you have been with her all the way father and she knows that you're with her and her husband uh, we pray god that you'll continue to bless strengthen uh, deepen their faith and heal father we thank you for RJ who we he has a reported nerve problems but uh, some improvement so we pray that you'll continue to be with him as well and that all of these brethren father we're praying for June June Deegan 
as she uh, is struggling, Father, with her health and not sure exactly what the cause is. Uh, you know, Father, what it is. We appeal to you for her. Our brother John Plunkett, who recently broke his foot, uh, we're, we're lifting him up as well, Father. Our sister in, in Ghana, our sister Vida, who was hospitalized, and again, the, the details here are not known, but we know that you know, Father. And we bring her to your merciful throne, as well as uh, the husband of Violet, Richard, who had uh, kidney cancer and surgery, a successful surgery. Uh, we lift him up as well, Father. And finally, uh, Purita in, in uh, Alberta, cousin of uh, uh, one of our sisters in faith, who's a young family and diagnosed with stomach cancer. Uh, we pray, God, that you would bless her as she has uh, appealed for prayer, and that ultimately she would come to understand the purpose for her life, and that all of these trials, Father, would, 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 would bless these brethren and, our, and those associated uh, with a deep understanding of your control over our physical lives, that, that we would have deep uh, conviction of the need for Jesus Christ's blood, for our healing, our spiritual healing as well, and that everything that is thrown at us, Father, it would be ultimately uh, to our spiritual benefit. And so we come before you and we lift up all of these brethren and those who have asked for, for prayers, Father, uh, to you, knowing that you have a heart of deep mercy as you look down from heaven above. Uh, we just thank you so much for your interest in our lives, for your, your focus on being true to your covenant, and using us to help you in this, this wonderful work that you are working upon the earth. We praise you for these brethren, Father, and we ask for your blessing upon them and those associated with them, Father. And we ask this in Jesus' most holy and mighty name. Amen. So, brethren, with that, we will have now uh, another hymn. This hymn is 98, page number 98, Break Thou the Bread of Life. We'll uh, broadcast the lyrics here up on the screen. Break thou the bread of life. Immediately after this hymn, we'll have the main message for today. As I mentioned earlier, it's going to be brought to us by our guest speaker, Pastor Bill Watson. He's the pastor from Medina, Ohio. Uh, he, I think he's going to be recognizable to most of us as he is also one of the main broadcasters on our chief program, The Armor of God. He's going to be giving a sermon today entitled The Bread of Life. The Bread of Life by Pastor Bill Watson, immediately after our next hymn, page number 98, Break Thou the Bread of Life.
Well, hello, everybody, and uh, good afternoon, Burlington. Uh, it's uh, so nice to be once again with all of you and uh, do miss you very much so. Unfortunately, uh, due to circumstances beyond all of our control, it's uh, it's been quite a year, needless to say, with uh, all of this uh, quarantining and restrictions and the inability to uh, travel as freely as we've all been used to uh, traveling. I guess it uh, really does uh, help us all, I think, to appreciate uh, what we had. And sadly, life is much like that, isn't it, when uh, you really don't know how good you had it until something's taken away. And then you kind of look back at it, and uh, lo and behold, uh, you see just exactly how wonderful and appreciative we should have been while we had it. <laughs> but God willing, we'll uh, hopefully uh, recover here and, and be able to once again be in each other's company, actually, as opposed to virtually, and I, I long and look forward to to that particular day. I uh, couldn't help but to uh, notice that uh, in the opening prayer, Jan asked us and uh, had uh, hoped that uh, we could digest this sermon and the information of which uh, I'm bringing to you and uh, hope to share with you. And I think it's very appropriate in light of the fact that I would like to ask some questions in getting started here in the presentation. I uh, thought I would start out with this. Many of you are familiar with matzos, unleavened bread. You're familiar with this as we take it. We begin to eat it. Pardon my chewing and my crumbs here. I want to ask you, what do you think when you hear the crunching? Or are you thinking about maybe the roof of your mouth and how it's sticking to the, the roof of your mouth or how dry and bland it may be and perhaps what you could put on it, maybe to make it a little bit more tasty, a little bit easier to uh, go ahead and eat. Uh, are we dedicated to eating unleavened bread every day? And do we understand and are we aware of the significance of eating unleavened bread? I know that many of us, due to the emphasis of years gone by, that eating leaven products was certainly something that we stayed away from and were very well drilled on staying away from leaven products during the seven days of unleavened bread. But the emphasis of not of, of eating un, unleavened bread every day was not as strong. And I think many, if you look back on our history, if you've had a connection with the Worldwide Church of God anyway, there seemed to have been somewhat of a, a de-emphasis on that. And I want to bring that to all of our attention because certainly it is important, brethren, that we do take time and be cognizant of and, and certainly aware of that we take time to eat unleavened bread every day because the premise is set on Passover evening, as we all know, that the unleavened bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of spiritual lessons in just that particular physical representation of understanding that unleavened bread represents 
Jesus' body and his being and how that being, his, his embodiment, becomes part and parcel to us and to Jan's opening prayer addresses this idea of him being digested in ourselves and that from Christ in us, we begin to learn how to express Christ out of us and become more, as we understand, more Christ-like. There's a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons in the Days of Unleavened Bread that are compacted, uh, embedded, ensconced in the physical representations of so much that we ourselves experience in going through this particular Spring Holy Day. And there's also an emphasis, a story, that is associated with bread, and of which ties directly into the emphasis of Christ being that bread of life. And I think it's important for us to understand with emphasis that Christ in us, now that we are repentant, assuming we are, and we've been baptized, and impregnated with God's Holy Spirit, and for those of you who are perhaps contemplating it, more power to you. I, I pray and I hope God will ultimately lead you to making that commitment and dedicate your life to Jesus Christ. But for those of us who have already gone over that threshold and are in on the other side, as they would say, it is incumbent on all of us to recognize the importance of Christ in us, who we represent, and what it does indeed mean to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. It's so, so very important. And Jesus gives us some lessons, believe it or not, in John 6 on what it takes to be a Christian and the level, degree, uh, the intensity of commitment that we all should have in dedicating our lives to him. Because it's not getting any easier. You know it as well as I do. To become a Christian and to walk in this world surrounded by the noise that we're surrounded by and seeing all the things that we're seeing and trying to decipher what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what isn't, what's information and what's disinformation. I mean, we could go on and on and on about all the things that we ourselves find ourselves involved with or exposed to. But in this case, John 6, we are reminded very much so, brethren, so much so, about Jesus Christ and the importance of him in us and him being recognized by us personally as the very bread of life. In John 6, I'm already there, verse 1, I want to just bring your attention over here uh, to this chapter where we begin to read here, uh, after these things, Jesus went over into Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, cutting to the chase here. He is basically uh, attracting probably somewhere in the vicinity of 10, believe it or not, 10 to 15,000 people. I mean, you can read the fact that there were 5,000 men here. But we learn later on in Matthew 14, if you want to reference that, I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time. But Matthew 14 talks about that didn't include that didn't include women and children. So it is very practical and, and, and very realistic that at least there may have been 10,000, at least, maybe 11, 12,000, I don't know, about 15. But nevertheless, it was more than just 5,000 people. He attracted quite a crowd here. And so he comes up and recognizes this, and he asks uh, Philip, he says, um, 
where shall we buy bread that we may eat? This is verse 5. In verse 6, uh, he says this, and we're told, and we're given a little bit of insight by the Apostle John here, that Jesus knew what he was doing. He was kind of setting Philip up a little bit because he knew fair, very well uh, uh, what Philip was thinking. He wanted to get a reaction from him. And Philip answered in verse 7. He says, well, 200 pennies worth of bread is not sufficient for them, uh, that every one of them may take a little. And his disciple Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says unto him, Oh, there's a lad here with five barley loaves and uh, two uh, two small fish, but uh, what are they among so many? And Jesus says, make make the men sit down. So he sits the 5,000 guys down, uh, and there was much grass in the place. This is verse 10. Men sat down, and uh, the number about was 5,000, as we've been told. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, distributed it among the disciples, and they were uh, set that. Uh, disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, and much of they uh, as they would. When they were um, filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain. Therefore they gathered them and filled 12 additional baskets of leftovers. Amazing. I mean, this this was uh, just an amazing miracle. And uh, it says here that uh, remained over, verse 14 now, then those men, when they had seen the miracles that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, the prophet that should come into the world. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they were going to come and take it by force and make him a king, he departed again to the mountains himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down under the sea, entered into a ship. And we find out later, too, that also Jesus told his disciples to leave. Uh, we, we read that in other parts of uh, the Bible. Uh, whereby the uh, people, he said he would take care of the people. But the point of it is, the disciples left him, and he uh, went on to the mountains later on after he uh, apparently took care of the people, as mentioned in other parts of the Bible, and was separated from them. In the meantime, they go on a boat, they go out on the uh, sea, and lo and behold, a storm comes, you know the story perhaps, and they all get really scared. They are fear-struck. I mean, they are just terrified over the fact that they think, apparently, that they were going to die because it was such a violent storm. And so here, we're brought uh, to understand that the sea uh, arose by reason of a great wind that blew. And when they had rowed about five uh, and twenty and thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near unto the ship, and they were afraid, as pointed out here. Now, if you go over to Mark chapter 6, again, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but if you go to Mark 6, verse about 47 or 52, it adds an element to this story about Jesus actually walking on the water, and he he's walking by the boat until they cry out, and we're told in, in Mark 6 there, that then he turns and assures them, hey, don't be afraid, it's me, Don't don't worry about it, and then he gets in the boat, and when he gets in the boat, the water goes smooth. And it's amazing. They, they, are, uh, they are just completely struck over the wonderment of this. They, they couldn't believe that this was happening. Now, this, this was a real miracle, brethren. I mean, it was awesome. First, he feeds 10,000 plus people, perhaps, with a limited amount of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And then he's walking on water. We find out later on, too, that Peter came out of the boat in another portion of the scripture to get a little bit more comprehensive detail about this whole event that uh, uh, John doesn't pick up and doesn't really record. But the point of it is there's a lot of miracles 
wrapped up supernatural events that these guys witnessed, experienced, and saw, not to mention the people themselves as well who were the beneficiaries of the fish and the bread. And, and so here we see that um, uh, he said unto them, verse 20 of John, chapter 6, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they willingly received him in the ship, and immediately the ship uh, was at land where they went. In other parts of the Bible, it does illustrate the fact that they continued to uh, sail across the ship. And uh, for all intents and purposes, they uh, made it to the other side. Now, it's interesting to see how this develops because the story continues. And the people that were left on the other side realized that, well, you know, Jesus, he disappeared. Where did he go? And the disciples, they went on the other side of the sea into uh, Capernaum, as we understand. And here in uh, verses uh, 21 or 22, the day following, the next day, the people which stood on the other side of the sea, saw there was none other boat there except the one wherein the disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples, they knew, into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away. And when, and dropping down to verse 25 for the sake of time, and when they had found him, that's Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, how did you get here? How did you get here? Now, this is the first question of a litany of questions in this chapter that are very interesting that we're going to hit on as we go through this for you and I to share in the fact that what Jesus is doing is leading us to understand, brethren, the degree of commitment that we as human beings need to have as Christians in order to truly be at the level that he wants us to be, because we're going to see some very, very selfish activity, almost in some cases obtuse behavior in how these people responded. And let me remind you, let me remind all of us, after seeing some just mind-blowing miracles, I mean, the fish, the loaves of bread, the walking on water, the, the fear the fact that it gets in the boat and the, the storm goes flat. Amazing things, amazing events of which uh, they all experienced, not only the disciples, but also other people uh, in limited uh, segments as they had opportunity to witness what they witnessed. And needless to say, about 10,000 or more people did witness the fish of the loaves, without a doubt. So here they come to question uh, number one, and he says, uh, they asked him, how did he get here? And Jesus said, now notice his response. This is amazing. Jesus says truly to them, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. In other words, he's saying, you come over here for another free lunch. Basically, he's he's telling them for all intents and purposes, you'll have to pardon the telephone, I forgot to unplug it. <laughs> but the fact of it is, he's saying here that you've come for a free lunch. And so here uh, he continues on, labor not. And he uses this as a prop to launch from. He, he leverages this to compare 
to compare what the lesson he wants. He sets it up. And he says here, verse 27, and this is beginning now, what John chapter 6 begins to unfold for all of us. He says here in verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life. Don't worry about the physical. Be more concerned. Be focused. Give what you've got to give up. Sacrifice what you've got to sacrifice if indeed you need to. For the spiritual, for the everlasting, for the bread that lasts forever. He's setting this up. Follow him through this, brethren. This chapter is amazing when you really get into it. He says here, which endures everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you for him, uh, for him has God the Father sealed. Question two. The people are taken back. They hear what he says. Hmm. So they say unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What is this that you're talking about? What are you telling us, Jesus? And Jesus answers them, verse 29, John chapter 6. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. Step one, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is indeed Messiah. He is indeed Savior. And don't Doubt it. That's what he's saying. And that's what he's laying out there. Forget the loaves of bread. Forget the the couple of fish that you you ate. No, that's not important. What's important is that you believe in this bread by which the Father has sealed. They said, therefore, question three. Hmm, all right. What sign? I, I can't. I can't even believe they're asking this question. I don't know about you, but how can they even ask this question? Again, going back, they were beneficiaries the day before on that grassy knoll with all 10,000 or however many of them there were, 5,000 guys and women and kids. And they all saw they had a limited amount of food, needless to say, a real limited amount compared to the number of people. And they even had leftovers, 12 baskets of leftovers. And they have the audacity to say this. And they said unto him, what sign do you show then that we may see and believe you? What do you work? What? I, Jesus had to be incredulous. I mean, I, I don't know how to get into his head, and I'm sure he was patient with them. But it is just unbelievable, incredibly unbelievable, that they would even ask this question after fully experiencing what they just experienced. And furthermore, knowing full well there was only fully full well there was only one boat to cross the sea, and yet Jesus got over there on the other side somehow. Amazing. But they asked the question. Our fathers, and then they get a little bit even more, they drill down a little bit more. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What? Jesus created bread and fish out of thin air to feed 10,000 plus people. And they have this in their mind about the history of Moses and in the wilderness and manna and, uh, you know, the quail and so forth. I mean, that's nothing compared to what Jesus did in front of them in the moment the day before. And Jesus is going to portray that because what Jesus is going to do now, he's going to draw a contrast because that was a physical That was a physical representation to sustain a physical nation known as Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. And then it was 
finite. It was limited. The generation died. They were human beings. Jesus is contrasting himself with that bread by virtue of the bread the Father sent in his personage that provides eternal life, life everlasting, life that life that is forever, that you cannot die from, and of which Jesus is trying to emphasize to them is the better bread to imbibe of, the better bread to partake of. Get your mind off of the physical and get it on Jesus Christ. And so he continues on here, brethren, and he says, Truly I said unto you, Moses gave not that bread from heaven, but my Father's giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Don't you get it? This is Jesus is bearing down on him. He says in verse 32, again, truly, truly, that's what barely, barely, barely means. Look at me. Look at me. Watch my lips. You know, get, I'm, I'm intense about this. I want you to get this point. Understand. Moses gave you bread and you died. It wasn't eternal life. eating that bread. But if you eat of this bread, you shall live forever. Question four. They said unto him, Lord, evermore. Give us, give us this bread. Wow. Now we have a, a real, what you could say, amazing, amazing uh, statement here. Because for all intents and purposes, this question really begins to set Jesus up for him to truly now drill down. And what Jesus is trying to get them to understand is that the spiritual lesson behind this and what he's driving at is the idolatry in their lives. As we go through this chapter, and we're going to come back here to question four in a minute, but as we go through this chapter and we begin to see what Jesus is doing, we see that people begin to struggle with believing Jesus and accepting him for who he claims to be. I've often thought myself, you know, would I have accepted Christ in seeing him there standing, I don't know, five foot eight, five nine, five ten, maybe, uh, maybe even shorter, I don't know, but, uh, you know, kind of not, not a really good looking guy, at least according to the, the words of Isaiah, he wasn't really all that attractive. Uh, and yet, he was powerful. I mean, we saw what he did with the fish and, and the loaves, saw the fact that he walked on water, uh, how somehow he got over to the other side of the sea without a boat. I mean, all of these things and the fact, if you find, if you read even before this, and we're going, I'm going to reference this in a moment, he was healing people all over the place. I mean, when you begin to understand the fact that he himself was healing people and, and people were being really uh, what you could say, benefited by his presence, it was hard to believe that they couldn't believe who he was claiming to be. And yet I can't help but to ask myself, you know, would I, would I truly believe him, looking at him, evaluating, assessing his size, the way he, he looked, the way he smelled, the way he sounded, the way he acted, tone of his voice. I hope I would. I, I really do hope I could embrace him. Because what Jesus is asking these people is not really uh, what, what God 
can do for them, but what they can do for God. That he wanted them, brethren, to embrace him. And he wanted them to understand what is required of that, what that means, what it means to embrace him. There's a lot of people, Matthew chapter 7, I'm not going to turn there, you can read it, Matthew 7, 21 through about 27. Uh, in, in that particular scripture, it says there are many people who believe that they're Christians. They cast out demons in Jesus' name. They do a lot of wonderful works in Jesus' name. They claim and think uh, that they are following Jesus Christ and doing what God expects them to do, only to find out, Jesus claims, that in the end, at the end of the day, that they, he says, get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. And what does that mean? It means that people don't really understand what the cost is. In Luke 14, we use this chapter quite often in, in uh, uh, evaluating, not evaluating, but in uh, counseling, in counseling people for baptism to count the cost, to recognize what is at stake here. Because in that chapter, Luke 14, you'll read that the appeal from Jesus is that you need to love less, love less your mom, your dad family. In other words, if something should get between you and Christ, should not be allowed. And that's what he's asking. That's what he's appealing for. He's asking all of us, brethren, to stop serving our own appetites. Don't try to make God in our image, on our terms. No, 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 no. We've got to meet God on his terms. We've got to basically begin to find comfort in accepting him for who he is so that we can emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually adapt to his expectations. All the chapters leading up from chapter 4 with the woman at the well who wanted her thirst quenched, uh, the disciple, uh, the disciples coming up upon him as he was talking with her, asking him, that is the disciples asking Jesus, we want you to eat something, to the guy who had the son who wanted to be healed, remember, and he came up to Jesus and said, can you heal my son? And Jesus did it. Uh, to even the guy uh, in the next chapter, chapter 5, with the guy at the pool of Bethesda who was crippled, and Jesus again heals him. All these are narratives, brother, and leading up to this chapter 6 that we're in, that portray people wanting something from Christ on their terms. And that's so much, so often, how we ourselves find ourselves falling into these ruts as time goes by. That's why I'll tell you, I'm, I'm just so happy and grateful and thankful, and I hope you are too, that once a year on this annual calendar merry-go-round we're on in this physical life on planet Earth through the holy days. We are consistently, continuously reminded of the linchpins of God's plan via the holy days, with the Passover being an underscoring platform for all of us to launch from through the meditative approach of realizing how deeply grateful, brethren, appreciative we should be for this being who divested himself of all that he was. I mean, he was an all-encompassing word of God, the creator, the one who made Satan, the Hillel, 
the one who made Gabriel, the one who made Michael. He made them all. He made everything invisible and everything that's visible. And he gave it all up. He gave it all up to come into a human tabernacle, an incarnation of flesh, to fight the appetites we deal with so that we might be able to have a being, an atonement, somebody who takes the hit for us so that we might live. That's right. He died. Our creator died. He came. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about the fact he came to this earth and took on the seed of Abraham for this purpose. And this purpose was a very important purpose because if you don't have a dead savior, brethren, we don't have a savior. He came to experience death. He wasn't in Tartarus talking to demons. He was disconnected, immobile, unconscious, dead in that tomb for three days and three nights. Why do I know that? Because he was subjected to the same, same bondage of death that you and I are in this mortal incarnate condition we are in. And we're told about this. I'm not making it up. We're told about this in Hebrews 2. You can read it later, perhaps, when you get a chance to find out exactly what I'm talking about in this regard. But once a year, brother, and this is my point that I was trying to make, we get a chance to slow things down. Two weeks. Uh, Pastor Davis mentioned 13 days, 13 days up ahead of us. We've got an opportunity to enter into a dimension of time. And I hope you enjoy it for the moment. Take it. The moment in time that you will have that evening, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it may be, listening to whoever does the service for you. Studying if you're alone, the scriptures on your own, but letting it resonate and sink into you. And looking at yourself, a state of the union address, self to self, an opportunity to reevaluate, to redress, to rediscover, an opportunity to review or to reconsider, to redirect our lives and our outlook toward our lives. Passover is all about that. Passover is all about, of course, appreciating the price that was paid, the risk and the value associated with, because Christ came here at great risk, brethren. If you don't believe that, you're missing the point. He could have failed. He was in jeopardy. He was in bondage to death. In all due respect, there was risk. And because of that risk, the value is priceless. It's unfathomable. It's amazing, incredible in so many regards and in so many respects. And it all begins with us recognizing this fact of the broken body and shed blood. Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, he didn't. He didn't. I mean, he could have died differently, but he died the way he died. The methodology that was used, the experience of that day of when he was betrayed, and the hours thereafter of the whippings and beatings and so forth, and all that he went through, to the attachment of us to a stake with nails through his hands and his feet, was all about us understanding the risk to value relationship. And brethren, the joy and the, the, the happiness and the, I would hope, understanding of satisfaction and frankly relief 
of knowing we don't have to pay the penalty of death on our own behalf or for our own selves, but that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christos, Yeshua, died on our behalf and took the hit. And we now, we now have a right and freedom if we can move ahead with Jesus and answer the question four, which they said to him in verse 34 of chapter six, book of John. Lord, give us this bread. You want bread? Repent. Accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior and take on his template. Take on his example. Take on his enthusiasm. Take on his outlook. Because now Jesus says, oh, okay, you want the bread? Here it is. And he says, I am the bread. Oh, my. Watch this. Of life, he that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and don't believe. And the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. The Father will draw people to me. I'm not going to cast them away. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. I came here to be the conduit of the Father. For I am I'm powerless. The Father's working through me. I'm human, like you. But the Father's empowered me to do certain things, and the power that you see manifested in me is nothing more than the Father working through me. That's what Jesus was reflecting. Christ himself was the template of the Father as he himself lived on this earth for the 33 and a half years he lived to illustrate and glorify the exemplification of the Father's existence and to introduce us to that being known as the Father. And he goes on here and he says, and this is the Father's will which has sent me that that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. And I, look at this, Jesus is saying, I. He's standing in front of people, and Jesus is saying this, brethren, and he's asking these people to believe it. And he's saying, I will raise him up in the last days. <laughs> Look what the Jews, the Jews got blown away. Look at this. They murmured at it. Because he said, I am the bread which came. Is, is this not Joseph? This is Jesus, Joseph Sarkoff. And they get real, you know, almost, uh, you know, undermining. I mean, this is the guy that we grew up with. His mother, Mary, we know her. I mean, how, how, how then? Question five. How then that he says, I came down from heaven? Jesus hears him. Jesus is watching him. Jesus just laid it out in verses 35 through 40. Got the reaction. Now he's going to respond. Question five. How is it then that he says, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered them. He said, stop the murmuring. Stop murmuring among yourselves. No man, and he reiterates regarding his connection with the Father, 
And many of us have quoted this scripture over and over and over uh, in verse 45, uh, 44, of which is repeated later on in the chapter, and we'll get to it when we get to it. But verse 44, Jesus lays down a premise, lays down an underscore, without a doubt. He says, look, nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him, essentially is what 44 says. And 45, it is written, and he goes ahead and he quotes Isaiah. Quotes the Old Testament. Why does he do that? Because the Old Testament was the Bible of the early New Testament church. I always like to remind brethren about that because we oftentimes forget that the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the writings, brethren, was the Bible of the early New Testament church. And consequently, it was the scriptures. It was the authority by which that early New Testament church leaned on constantly for the first three to four centuries as it began to emerge out of the box. and certainly try to weather through the storm of persecutions that ultimately manifested itself as the universal slash parentheses Catholic Church. But that's another story left for another time. Uh, but Jesus continuing on the narrative here. He says, it's written in the prophets. They shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me. Not that any man has seen the Father. Have he which is, uh, except, that is, save, save he which is of God. He has seen the, nobody's seen the Father. Which means what? That the God of the Old Testament, the one that interacted with all the, the fathers, the, our forefathers, our religious forefathers, Abraham and so on, even Solomon himself, and of course, uh, Jacob and what have you, all of them, uh, Joseph. Who was that? Who, who did, uh, Jacob wrestle with? It was the Word prior to his incarnation. No one has seen the Father. Oh, the Father was around. The Father was working through Christ. The Word, the Word was doing what the Father wanted. Of course, this is all about them and the plan that they designed, engineered, and developed before, we're told, before the world was. So in all due respect, Jesus is not saying anything new here other than the fact of clarifying some things. That look, you, you've never seen the Father. I have. You haven't. You've never, you, you've never heard his voice. I have, but you haven't. And he's laying that out. And so he goes on here and he says, truly, here we go, truly, truly, watch my lips, I'm, I'm, I want you to get this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting, do you know what a statement this is? He that believes on me has everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness. They're dead. I'm, I, I'm more superior in this case, guys. That Jesus is trying to draw this contrast to illustrate to them that there is more value in this bread than there ever was in any kind of bread. Even in this bread. This is only physical. This is just simply a physical representation of a spiritual, a spiritual value. What is the spiritual value? That you believe these words and are taking in imbibing in the body of Christ for seven days, the, the, the number of perfection to develop, brethren, the habit, to be reminded of the habitual habit that you and I should have throughout the year in getting our nose in the Bible, in trying to do the best we can day in and day out, exemplifying Christ in our lives, Christ in us, Christ crucified. 
I hope you get a chance to read that article I wrote in International News. I go through some of this stuff uh, in that particular article in an attempt to try to draw this risk and value association, which is so important at this time for us to comprehend and let resonate in us. But Jesus goes on. And he states here, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. They're dead. Verse 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I. You see how this is first person. He is bringing it on him now. He's not pulling any punches. He's laying it out there. He's exposing himself. He's revealing the vulnerability of the fact and looking to you on whether or not you can accept this. Or do you have your doubts? We need to ask ourselves these questions. Are there many roads to God? Can we be a Muslim? Can we be a Hindu? Can we be a Buddhist? And still meet, reach, achieve the karma of paradise, the kingdom of God, as others would call it? Or is there only one name, one way, one means by which you can accomplish the objective of entering into the God kingdom, into the kingdom of God? And that name is Jesus Christ. Your Bible says that is it. That is the way it is. And the question is, can we accept that? Do we understand it? And Jesus continues and he says, I uh, will give, uh, he says here in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now the Jews, they, they what? He's going to give us his flesh. They're striving with this. They're really struggling with this statement. Now, this is going really, really deep. I mean, this is hard to embrace, hard to accept, hard to agree with, hard to just digest uh, of this. And so they strove among themselves, verse 52 of John 6, saying, how? Question 6. Question six. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, Jesus is going to bear down here. He is really going to drill deep. He's, you would think, you know, maybe backing off a little bit, maybe lightening up a little bit, Jesus. No, 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 no. He is, he's looking for commitment, brethren. He's looking for dedication. There's actually 10 questions in this chapter here. The last three are Jesus's questions. And we're going to get to those in a moment. But the questions leading up to Jesus's questions really put the onus on each and every one of us as we come full circle every year face to face with renewing our covenant, our agreement with God, our father through Christ in the appreciation and by the vehicle of and the avenue of the sacrifice of him. Will we do it? Can we accept this? Verse 53, and Jesus said to them, while they're striving, truly, truly, here he goes again. He's bearing down. Look, guys, look me in the eye. Watch my lips. Truly, truly, I say to you, except you eat my flesh, eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, You've got no life in you. 
Whoso eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal, has eternal. You eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have got eternal life. No doubt about it. He's being affirmative. He is being definitive. There is absolutely uh, no wiggle room here. This is conclusive. And he's laying it down there for them to consider, for them to think this through. And he's laying it on. He says, for my flesh, verse 55, John 6, is meat indeed, my blood, drink indeed. He that eats my flesh, drinks my blood, dwells in me, and I in him, Christ in us. As the living Father has sent me, Father sent him. He was on a mission when he was here for the 33 and a half years that he lived and the three and a half year ministry he conducted. He was here on behalf of the Father. And I live by the Father. So he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna. Forget that. That's not even in the equation. That was a whole other story on a different subject that was meant to be limited in its value. This value, this risk that he's talking about here in John 6 is priceless, unfathomable. And frankly, in some cases, for us as human beings and our little pea brains and finite minds, hard for us to truly comprehend the extent of the risk and the value that it means to us. Other than, of course, the context that I think we can get this, we don't have to die. We can live forever as long as we accept Jesus Christ. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than just believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told by the uh, half-brother of Jesus and James that even the demons believe in Christ. They know he exists. Satan, the devil, tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights. He was, they were addressed during the time of the deluge of Noah in Tartaru prior to the flood. I mean, they know and they tremble. Believing in Jesus is part of it. It starts with it. But doing what he asks on his terms is the key, not on our terms. And this is what Jesus is driving at. He's, he's filtering the ones who want him on their terms. And so he says here in verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers eat manna and are dead. He says it again. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. These are the things that he um, said, things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, question seven. Said, who can hear this? Who who can believe this? Who does this guy think he is? My well, he only fed ten thousand plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He only walked on water. He was only healing people. The guy at the pool of Bethesda and others that were being brought to him, laid at his feet. People that didn't have an appendage, and then all of a sudden they did have an appendage. I mean, that is a miracle. Not to have a finger and then have a finger. Not to have a leg and then have a leg. To to actually heal people who were blind, couldn't see, and then they could see or couldn't hear, and then they could hear. 
Those were real miracles that people really saw, experienced, even stories that we heard about the guys on the roof. Remember, they lowered that guy down in front of Jesus, and he healed him right there. I mean, many, many of these events over and over and over, the uh, the water to wine and so on. And yet, these people, dumb as a box of rocks in some cases, don't accept it and can't hear it. And I think to myself, would I have? Do I today? How much do I really believe this stuff? Well, I hope I really believe it. I think I do. I don't have a whole lot of doubts about it because I've seen things in my own life that have secured my faith to know full well that this way is the only way, brethren, and that Jesus Christ is indeed that bread and his blood is indeed that blood. So they ask and they say here, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And now Jesus starts asking questions. The first of three that he asks. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples were murmuring at it, he said unto them, because now he's got them to the limit. He's got them where he wants them. He asks them. There he is standing there in all of his human mortal condition. Does this offend you? What and if? (laughs) And then he goes even further and says this. What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But those, but there are some of you that don't believe. Brethren, are there some of us that still are having a hard time with this? I appeal to all of us, brethren. Take time, examine yourself, and know where you stand. And know and understand the depth, the scope, and the breadth of your commitment and your dedication. And do the things that God wants you to do to enlighten your life so that that light can be seen by others. To where you become the magnet that you should become, the light on the hill that you should be to draw others to Christ. I I hope, I pray for a revival in the church of God. In a, for a revival in your personal life because it starts with each and every one of us. And this is what Jesus is driving at. you got to accept him on his terms and get infused, become empowered over the understanding and the belief and the recognition of the promises that are in this book that are yours to have. Because you're a co-heir with Christ, according to the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 8. So Jesus says in verse 64, some of you... Don't believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And so he says uh, here, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. A repeat of verse 44, a reiteration, a resubstantiation, a reestablishment of a premise. That you, brethren, if you accept this, know full well, without a doubt, that the Father called you, the Father, picked you, and drew you to Christ 
and you went down through here and accepted this progression that Jesus has led us to understand and comprehend. And so that brings us to Jesus' second question, number nine, in the questions of ten, and says to the twelve, his personal inner circle, he says, will you also go away? He wanted to know where they are. He wanted to know where they stand. He wanted them to verbalize. He wants us to take the bread. He wants us to drink the wine. Why? Because he says that eats my flesh and drinks my blood is the one that I will raise up. So here, In verse 68, Simon Peter responds to Jesus' question and says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? He says here, you have the words of eternal life. He's verbalizing this. Peter's getting it. At least it seems like he's getting it. And we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And number 10, Jesus comes back and he says here, Have I not chosen you, 12, and one of you is a diabolos, a devil? Is not one of you a betrayer? Is not one of you against me? Jesus was no fool, nor was he naive. He understood the plan. He was well acquainted with it. He and the Father knew very well what had to be in order to make the pathway for eternal life to be obtained. And so, not discounting uh, Peter's words here, the fact remains, and it is very important for all of us brethren to come to this, and not be a diabolos, of course, (laughs) uh, for sure, but to settle in And get comfortable with Peter's self-actualized realization after going through all of this where he said, and let me repeat it, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Shall we go to Muhammad? Shall we go to Buddha? Shall we we go to Hare Krishna? Shall we go to these other religions? Should I remain agnostic and not know what God really is? Believe in God but not really know what he is? No, 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 no. no. Peter says it very clear. Who, Who should we go to? You've got the words. And he verbalizes this. You've got the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Brethren, these are the words that we've got to get comfortable with to where they become our clothing, where they become the reality that we we live in. And that in between our ears, in our mind, where we live, we know that we've got a savior that loves us. And that wants us to obtain eternal life so that we can be embraced as a brother in the spirit realm. Oh, we're brothers now, but we're still in progress and there is still risk at, at play. But he's rooting for us, brother, and you've got the best cheerleader you could ever have in Christ. 
Lot's been invested so that you and I could have life. So that we could go beyond this worldly existence of flesh and blood, which is so temporary. And the older I get, the more I realize it. Romans 8, Paul reminds us. Over here, real quickly as we wrap this up, and in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are, they are, no doubt, sons of God. As a father has called you to me, and you repented and got baptized and are now impregnated with God's Holy Spirit, brethren, you are a son of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. No, no, no. We know price has been paid. We've been liberated. That's what the night to be observed is all about. It's a celebration of our release from the death penalty. We are free, no more in bondage, no more enslaved to the penalty of the law. But you have received spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Daddy, Father, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's a relationship. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, he says here, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, even so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We have no idea. I, I recently went down to the Creation Museum and went to the... Um, uh, where you go and see the stars and the moon. What do you call it? I forget now. I'm, I'm, I'm having a mind uh, blank here. Uh, but at any rate, you see the stars and all of that. The, and the planets. Planetarium. That's it. A planetarium. Took my grandson down there. Uh, the, the, the awesomeness of the universe, brethren. The fact of inheriting all that what God has created. To be a part of some plan that beyond Revelation chapter 22, we have no idea. What door is going to open up to us when the new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem comes to this space and in a different dimension we exist in an eternal condition of materials called spirit, as Jesus explained it to Nicodemus, whatever that is, but affords us never to worry about death, never to be interrupted by this rude sleep that Jesus characterized for us to recognize and understand. No, brethren, we have something that is just so remarkable, so incredible, so awesome, that is is just amazing in so many ways. And is further portrayed here in verse 19 as we continue in the context of Romans 8. For the earnest expectation of the creature or the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's talking about the resurrection, the manifestation. The creature, the creation, the physical is waiting for our resurrection so that the world can then change and we can go on into the last chapters of redemption where the restitution of all things will be accomplished and that ultimately the Father comes home to essentially dwell, tabernacle with his creation, his sons and his daughters who committed 
to what was mentioned, what was articulated and narrated through John chapter 6 as Jesus went through step by step the degree of commitment it takes, the degree of dedication it takes, the degree of recognition it takes, acceptance and embracement it takes to achieve the objective of this very thing here that Paul's mentioning, the manifestation. Verse 20, Romans 8. For the creature was made subject to vanity or to futility. We're, we're, we're temporary. The, the, the more, the older I get, the more temporary I realize I am. I mean, it's just a fact. I didn't think the way I think today at my age when I was 30, when I was 25, when I was 20. I'm thinking differently now. <laughs> God's got my attention. He really does have my attention. And I think it's a process, a cycle of life that finally gets us to truly begin to hear Jesus' verily, verilies. And that's what it's all about, brethren, that we hear those verily, verilies, that we hear those truly, trulys, and begin to get focused on what really is important. And what is important? It's not the manna. It's not feeding our appetites. It's not, it's not satiating our, our comforts, you know, and all the things that are just so temporary, including our own flesh. No, 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 no. What is most important is that bread, blood. Got to eat the flesh. Got to drink the blood. I realize a lot of rumors were developed in those beginning years that Christians were cannibals, but we know better. It has nothing to do with that. The metaphors are priceless when one realizes that these figures of speech, these symbolic, the symbology behind it of the spiritual meaning is where the real value, the real value is embedded. And brethren, right here, as the Apostle Paul continues and says in verse 21, because the creation itself, Romans 8 also, shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption, that's death, into the glorious liberty, that's spirit life, of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation here groans and travails and pain together until now. The whole creation, the whole world. I mean, you look around the world, the pedophilia, the starvation, the wars, rumors of wars, the fears, the different ideologies of mankind from communism to Marxism to, to the Muslims. Uh, I mean, on and on we could go just listing a whole litany of things that man is grappling with, that man has grappled with and been challenged by for the last 6,000 years. His legacy is nothing more than a legacy of, of destruction, pain and suffering, tragedy, abuse. It's so sad that our legacy is that. But the day is coming when hopefully you and I will meet Christ in the air, brethren. The manifestation of your change from mortal to immortal will occur. You'll meet him in the air, according to 1 Thessalonians 4. You will fly in the clouds at a level that is low, and we will land over in the Mount of Olives and set up world-ruling government under the leadership of a God-being known as Jesus Christos, Yeshua, the Anointed. It's a great story. It's a saga that is well underway, and the processes are engaged. You and I our cogs in the wheel, being brought, hopefully, to fruition. As Paul describes here, we finish it out in verse 23, where it says, 
And not only they, that is the creation, not only they groan, but we groan. Look, look at the special prayers that Pastor Davis was talking about and all the people that are suffering and, 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 and somewhat worried over their health of a loved one, uh, the health of themselves, uh, the loss of a loved one, and the experience of having to go through now uh, with their absence due to the sleep that so rudely interrupts our life in this realm of mortal flesh and blood. We have it all, brother. We're dealing with it all. But so we are just part of the groaning. And in verse 23, it says, and not only they, that is the world, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to the witness or to wit the redemption of our bodies. What's that all about? It's about the incredulousness that Nicodemus understood when basically uh, Jesus told him that what's a flesh is flesh, spirit is spirit. And he said, how can these things be? What are you telling me, Jesus? No man's gone to heaven, Jesus said. You know, I mean, these things, brethren, that you know, that are comfortable in your mind, I pray and I hope, I really do, that they will be substantiated reinforced and buttressed up with your commitment and doubtlessness, unquestionable, convinced mind that Jesus Christ is indeed who he claims to be and is alive at the right hand of the Father, waiting on a countdown from God the Father to tell him, now, go hear your name, and I hope my name called. Meet him in the air and land with him on the Mount of Olives. Brethren, you take this Passover with a renewed sense of enthusiasm and life in this covenant promise that you have with God our Father because you and I, we do, we're co-heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Brethren, thank you so much for listening. Appreciate it. And I wanted to give a special thanks to your two pastors, uh, Murray Palmatier and, of course, Adrian Davis, for allowing me this time to, to share with you uh, as we begin to um, commence into the spring Holy Day season, which is going to launch us Passover evening on March 26th uh, over here in Ohio. It'll be about 7.45 p.m., as Pastor Davis had mentioned. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that. And, and you, in the meantime, you stay safe, remain healthy, and God willing, we'll see you actually in the flesh, <laughs> hopefully sooner than later. Pastor Watson, thank you so much for bringing that much, much needed message. We are so uh, blessed to have heard from you as uh, we prepare now, just days away from keeping the Passover. And uh, never have we observed the Passover in such an unstable world. So we need to be ready for anything. And as Pastor Watson exhorted us, uh, this is an opportunity for us to slow down and really deepen our commitment and our conviction as we face the days ahead and, and do exploits for our God. And as he said in his conclusion, that when Christ descends, that we ascend and meet him as in the air as we hear our name called. It's a great vision. It's a grand vision. And we're just so grateful that we could be reminded of all of this just days away 
from the Passover. So thank you, Pastor Watson, for spending time with us and, and bringing us such a, a timely uh, message uh, about the food, uh, the real spiritual food that we need to be partaking of. To close us out then uh, with closing prayer, we'll have uh, our, our beloved pastor, Pastor Murray, and then we'll have our final hymn, page number 23 in the hymn book, Guide Me, O Thou Great Eternal. Uh, pastor Murray, for the closing prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, in you, Jesus Christ, we humbly come before your thrones together here, asking you to accept us into your presence. We are so very humbled and grateful that you have revealed yourselves to us. We give all glory, honor, and praise to you for being our creator, for you, Jesus Christ, for being the worthy lamb. We are so inspired by the words that we've heard today that despite the world that we have experienced over the last year, that we are inspired to be more resolute and more committed coming into this season, that we may take the symbols of your body and blood, Jesus, that we may take the time to cement our faith and show you and prove to you that we truly are, mean what we mean what we say when we have committed our lives to you. We thank you for expounding to us the, the words that we heard today. We look forward to the coming in the next couple of weeks of this most holy and sacred time of year. As we exit this Sabbath day today, we acknowledge that the new year begins tonight at sunset, that this will be the beginning of months for us. We thank you what that means for us, that we know when holy time is, that you created this holy time when you created us and created all things. We thank you for this. We ask you to be with us individually and collectively as we come into this time. Protect us from the wiles of the adversary as he seeks to derail us and throw us off course. Be with those that are on our prayer list for sickness and, and anguish and grief and and all the things that, that plague us and put us in trial and help us to stay focused together on you and you, Jesus Christ. We are so very inspired to, to come into this season and make this another meaningful Passover for us, that we don't take these days lightly, that we don't take this time of year lightly. We thank you for this. We thank you for all that has gone into the many thousands of years of bringing us to this point in time and all that will continue to bring us forward to when the seals will be revealed and the, your plan, Holy Father, will continue to be revealed and take place. We thank you for this. We ask you to be with all of us here with an earshot and those who may listen later on further broadcasts of this. Protect us, guide us in this time of year. We thank you so very much for including us in your plan. We ask you to give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to stay cemented into that plan. We thank you for this. We ask all things in the name of our 
soon coming King and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.